You've tuned in to a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast. 20 Minutes with Mercedes Yardley. Alchemists, I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Paul Ellis. And you have tuned in to a very special edition of the Roundtable podcast, 20 Minutes With. 20 Minutes With is an opportunity for us to sit down with some extraordinary creators in order to explore their craft and process and the never-ending quest to improve our own. Indeed, indeed. And and I actually have my own personal quest that I'm exercising through these recent episodes of the Roundtable, and that is finding every awesome co-host I can possibly find to stand or, or sit in this case beside me as we as we indulge in that quest. And and dear friends, I am so delighted to have as my co-host for this episode, Master Paul Ellis. Paul, would you would you take just a moment and introduce yourself to our listeners so they know the awesomeness of your mojo? Well I'm you know who are you talking about first off? I'm looking behind you. <laughs> Uh, I'm Paul Ellis. I have a short story out in Dirty Magic Los Angeles called The Winds by Lucky Mojo Press, edited by Charlie Brown. I have uh, an upcoming title with the Tales from the Archives of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences Universe called Foothold. That'll be released either probably next month. Uh, is when that will be released. So those are the two things that I've got. I'm the new guy on the block, <laughs> and we're gonna uh, we're gonna break bad. I think if you've ever seen a picture of Dave or myself, we're gonna break bad this episode. That's right. This this is the bald guys with goatees episode. Absolutely, except for our guest host, who is neither bald nor has a goatee. <laughs> But and and Paul, dude, we're all we were all new kids on the block. At, oh God, I just invoked a boy band. Um, uh, uh, the new kids in in the potosphere. So, uh, dude, I have I have every confidence that that that's going to change for you very very quickly. Well, thank you very much. Absolutely. Well, let me let me Paul sit back, relax, grab a grab a drink, uh, light up a cigar. This is going to take a while. I, I I want to introduce you to our guest host for this episode of Twenty Minutes with. Uh, now. True fans of SpecFic are voracious readers, and as such, it's all too easy to become jaded as as genre tropes get recycled and reinvented, and it's a rare thing to find an author who actually shocks you out of that jaded complacency, whose, whose literary voice is so unique and so vital that it defies comparison and introduces new colors to your literary palette. And that is what it was like for me when I first read our guest host's work. She describes it as whimsical horror. And the sharp contrast between those two terms should give you your first clue that this person is someone very special indeed. Now, growing up, she thrilled to movies like The Secret of Nim, The Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, and The Last Unicorn. She lived in a small town, and her mother had lilac bushes and purple irises in the backyard, along with a great spreading willow tree. And our guest host had a, a special branch on that tree for sitting and reading. And under the fragrant lilacs, she would compose poems and play with her She-Ra and He-Man action figures. There's an image that I will never leave my mind. (laughs) At eight years old, she would sneak out at night and curl up into the big comfy chair in the living room and read Stephen King and the Amityville Horror, 
feasting on the delicious terror of those tales. Uh, she also <laughs> read her mother's romance books, which were also pretty frightening, but more in a, ew, gross kind of way. Uh, but, but frightening and horror, she was all about that. Now, in elementary school, she made up stories for her friends and read them to the class. She also started entering writing contests. Now, Understand, she wasn't seriously thinking about becoming a writer yet. She was just reveling in the delight of not only writing stories, but, and I think this is the important thing, sharing them as well. I think that's extremely relevant because our guest host is the complete polar opposite of the secluded hermit writer archetype. She drinks deeply from the well of life and the droplets from her cup splash across her fiction, as we'll see later. Now, in college, she had intended to major in social work, but when she matriculated from the halls of higher learning, she held degrees in sociology and creative writing, which, in my opinion, may be one of the perfect dual majors for someone with literary aspirations. Now, it was around this time that one of the more profound epiphanies manifested in our guest host's life. She was working at a home for sex offenders, engaging with individuals who had committed unspeakable acts upon their fellow human beings. But during this time, she found that in spite of the darkness that had twisted their spirits, these people were still capable of beautiful thoughts. And a, a simple act of kindness from one of the clients forever changed our guest host, illuminating a, a kind of hope amid the darkness that would become a hallmark of even her darkest tales. Now, when this episode airs, we will be deep into the heart of the literary fury that is NaNoWriMo. And it was during that exalted event several years ago that our guest host wrote her first book. Uh, it was a tale stitched together from the nightmares she had entered into her dream journal. Now, this is another hallmark of our guest host. She draws liberally upon the events and people of her life for the threads she weaves into her story tapestries. In fact, the demon who appears in her novel Nameless, The Darkness Comes, released just last January as the flagship novel from Ragnarok Press, uh, that demon was named after a creature from her four-year-old daughter's nightmares. Uh, she would tell her mom of a shadow that tiptoed into her room at night and told her mean things, and thus the demon Tiptoe Shadow was born. Uh, interestingly, she had also acquired a motorcycle while writing this book, so her protagonist got a motorcycle too. Uh, uh, and our guest host even went so far as to consult a cycle expert regarding some of the maneuvers that she had choreographed, and this inspired act of due diligence spared her protagonist from a nasty leg fracture from one of the nigh-impossible bits of planned motorcycle mayhem. Uh, but I'm clearly getting ahead of myself. Let's let's roll back a bit. Uh, in 2006, she started writing in earnest. Her first professional sale was a short story titled Show Your Bones that appeared in the January 2008 issue of the Vestal Review. Uh, then she sold Murder for Beginners to a new and intriguing dark fantasy magazine called Shock Totem. Now, she would later learn that Ken Wood, the editor of Shock Totem, had originally declined the piece, but the rest of the story staff loved 
loved it so much that they voted it to be included in the in the issue. Uh, now, this initiated a cascade of events that would lead to her joining the Shock Totem staff, an opportunity fraught with writerly goodness, uh, granting her precious insights about writing from the other side of the desk, as well as working with a cadre of brilliant kindred spirits. She would choose to leave as the demands of family and her own burgeoning writing career began to intrude on the quality of her work, but that experience continues to shine as a radiant and formative chapter in her life. Now, it was also during this time that she landed a New York literary agent, yo, via a Twitter contest, of all things, another testament to the power and influence of social media on the literary world. Now, while her agent shopped her novel around, our guest host put out a book of short stories titled Beautiful Sorrows from the aforementioned Shock Totem Publications. And, dear friends, the title lives up to its name in just about every possible way. Striking, unique, and lyrically innovative prose. But unique and lyrically innovative comes with a price when you're trying to get published in the Big Five. If the story doesn't fit into their sharply defined framework of marketable fiction, their eyes cross and they tend to twitch and babble incoherently. So our guest host and her agent parted ways, with the agent urging her to explore small presses who have a more daring and adventurous definition of what good specfic is. She found Ragnarok Press and published... Oh, guys, you're going to love this. Apocalyptic Montessa and Nuclear Lulu, A Tale of Atomic Love. Now, dear friends, this was my first experience with our guest host's prose, and it completely blew me away. It was like reading a cross between Firestarter and Natural Born Killers as written by Emily Bronte. It was just fucking amazing. Now... She writes with two writing groups. That's part of her process. The Alliterati, also known as the Interdimensional Wombats, and a secret group called the Pit Crew. Now, understand, these aren't just literary allies, but trusted friends who support and inspire each other in all aspects of their lives. Uh, it was here, actually, that the title for her debut novel, Nameless, came to be. She was having such troubles finding a title that everyone just started calling it The Nameless Book. And that actually turned out to be absolutely perfect. Uh, she loves roller coasters and amusement parks, wants to learn how to blow glass, has a stiletto obsession. Uh, the shoes, not the knives. Although she did win Reddit's Fantasy 2013 Best Short Fiction Stabby Award for Apocalyptic Montessa and Nuclear Lulu. Uh, she bakes like a demon, creating tempting treats of unholy deliciousness. And once she lured all the horror writers at Killer Con to help her make peanut butter cups at 2.30 in the morning, crushing the graham crackers with tequila bottles. She's a member of SIFWA and the Horror Writers Association. She can't barbecue to save her life. Her favorite food is Coke Zero, and her musical preference is everything. Dear friends, please welcome to the big chair here at the Roundtable Podcast, Mercedes Murdoch Yardley. Mercedes, <laughs> with the frothing mayhem that is your life, I, I am so very, very grateful that you found the time to, to, to share some thoughts with us here on the Roundtable. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Dave. I can't decide if I sound just intriguing or crazy, so thank you. <laughs> the answer <laughs> to, to that, I, I what think- another. <laughs> since, since I've known you, Mercedes, the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> Absolutely both in the best 
way possible. I, I, I cannot tell you. Um, and, and I'm, I'm not, I'm going to get, uh, set our timer here. I do not want to waste another minute. We're going to get down to our 20 minutes with Mercedes Yardley. Um, Mercedes, I'm going to kind of start off with one of those weird, squishy writer questions. Cause that's how we roll here at the round table. Um, uh, Vicky Weevil uh, at the, the blog Ring of Power uh, once asked you in an interview, what are the most important elements of good writing? And you answered believability, which really for me is kind of one of the hallmarks of your works, uh, regardless of how uh, out there, how strange, how unusual, how bizarre the, the, the circumstances, the setting or the characters are. All of your work has this authenticity that that just rings true and, and catches at the heart. And I was wondering, I, I don't even know if you can do this, Mercedes, but can you deconstruct that process for you? How do you bring such wonderful truth to the, the stories that you tell? You know, that's a that's a, a great question, the deconstruction process. Um yeah, I, I think even though things are out there, you know, there's a, a boy talking to a sentient star and that sort of thing, there's still aspects that are just true to life. Like as people, we're all, we're all built the same. We're extremely unique, but we all have the same feelings and the same desires and the same fears. Um, and it's easy to access that humanity, I think. Um, yeah, that's a tough question, Dave. Let me think for a second on that. Okay, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's it's, and that's why I said it was it's it's a tough question to to speak to because really, I get obviously you're a pantser, uh, yeah. and so you're working very instinctively, and I think it's kind of hard to actually quantify those those instincts that have developed over you know decades of of breathing in life and letting it affect you as it has. So I, I, I don't know. I may have asked an unanswerable question, uh, uh, but but go ahead and ponder that. I'm going to actually I'll turn the mic over to, to, to Paul. Maybe Paul has an answerable question <laughs> that we can lay into. <laughs> I'll, I'll give it a shot and, and we'll see. I was uh, doing some non stalkery type research to prepare for this. And As I opposed to what? Uh, me? <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't going to say. <laughs> You're very Her favorite kind. foods are she showers with the light off. <laughs> 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 Write that down. I got it. <laughs> got it. <laughs> and one of the things that intrigued me, and this is, uh, I went and purchased your, uh, The Pretty Little Dead Girls, the novel of murder and whimsy, night before last to read, uh, and got through it really fast. It's a really, I had a hard time putting it down because I had never read anything quite like that before. Uh, at first I was offended, and then I got over that, and I was intrigued, and by the end I was, I was completely captivated by your style of writing. I, I agree with Dave, that is unique in my tenure of reading for the past 45 or so years. So it, it, you've got a unique voice. One of the things I wanted to ask is how is that influenced by, say, you know, you're a dark fantasist who wears stilettos and poisonous flowers in her hair, as opposed to throwing a tomahawk and wearing red corduroys because it makes you happy. How much of that influences the way that you write? I would say all of it. Um, I think my life is such a, a strange kind of um, juxtaposition of things. And I used to try and really, you know, you should write this way, you should act this way, you should be this way. And, um, you know, grew up in a very, you know, strict Christian white girl upbringing where I didn't know how to dance and, you know, all these things. And um, I, I stopped caring about that. 
I stopped caring about that and I started letting myself be who I am. Um, and so for the horror crowd for a while, I wasn't dark and scary enough. But for like, you know, the, the typical PTA mo- moms, I was too scary. And um, it used to kind of bother me until I learned to just accept who I am and this is who I am and this is how it is. And, and now people accept it. And it was the same way with the writing. Um, if I try to adhere to what I think I'm supposed to be doing, I'm using air quotes, you guys so can't see, um, to what I think I should be doing, it doesn't come out right and it doesn't come out true. And uh, like Dave mentioned, the believability isn't there if I'm trying to write in this way. So when I stopped caring about, you know, what, what people, what I perceived people to, to see me as and sort of being who I was, and I let myself go with my voice. And Pretty Little Dead Girls, I actually wrote that um, quite a few years ago. And that was the one that, that my agent was trying to shop around that just didn't seem to fit in a genre, which it, as you read, you kind of can see that. Um, that was my first experience in completely letting go. I was supposed to be, in my mind, writing a, a sequel to my first novel um, that is yet unpublished. Um, and I just threw that aside and wrote this book that was so strange and so wonderful and so freeing and completely different. And the voice is different and, you know, it, it's unusual and the breaking the fourth wall and the way that they speak. And, and it was so freeing. So being who I am and allowing all these things to kind of jumble together and come out, um, let me be this writer who can kind of let it all jumble together and come out and hopefully something cohesive but just a little bit, you know, a little bit different, a little bit quirky and uh, unique to me. So this book is truly me, you know, and that was, that was freeing. That was, I mean, this was an epitome for me to just kind of have this realization that I can be me and, and it's going to be okay. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Mercedes Yardley after this brief promotional break. Crisis for the geek kind. Top geek officials admit they underestimated the hipster's defense capability. Join the geek revolution and save the galaxy. Geeks from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. They're doing their part. Are you? Want to know more? Join Weeby Geeks and the Geek Revolution and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. Listen to Weeby Geeks podcast on iTunes and Stitcher or online at WeebyGeeks.net. Weeby Geeks, your voice for the geek revolution. Want to know more? Now, let's get back to the conversation with Mercedes Yardley. Well, and it's interesting because I, I think those those of us who are, are seriously committed to to the writing craft find it to be this this kind of crucible this this kind of almost a, a trial by fire a, a, a spirit journey of of finding Mercedes what you discovered that 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 what you are and what you do is exactly what it needs to be and did did, did you find I mean in your earlier works were you re- you were wrestling with that that notion of this is what it should be and it's not sounding right. Right. Well, oh my goodness, I couldn't write horror. Um, I actually wrote my first horror story because somebody dared me to do it. And I'm like, I can never write a horror story. I don't have that in me. And they're like, oh, go ahead and try. And I'm like, challenge accepted. You know? <laughs> and uh, and now I'm, I'm running, I write whimsical horror. That's my, that's my niche. That's where I fit and belong. And 
for me, that original horror story was just, I can't do this because horror is supposed to be this way. It's supposed to be, you know, blood and guts and gore and all these things, which isn't true, which isn't the case at all. It's supposed to be emotion. Horror is, you know, emotion. It's drawing out that fear and all those things that we share and putting it on the page for someone else to share what you're afraid of. But I didn't know that. I thought, you know, I need to follow this. I need to do this route. And I think, you know, we're told to do that because it's marketable. Because if you follow this route, you know, someone's done it before, it will be published, they can do it again. But it just, it felt, it it was, it was off to me. It was like, okay, I just, you know, turned out something that has, I'm not in there at all. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, someone else already wrote that story and got it published. And, you know, (laughs) why do that again? That's boring. Yeah. Woo. (laughs) So it is, it's a crucible and it's, it's hard and it's tough. And people tell you all these, all this advice, which is terrible. Terrible advice people give you <laughs> about how to be published. Well, what's the best read? I'm going to go ahead and roll out a chestnut from the from the writing interview archives. But what's the best advice you ever got? You know, I don't know. You never never got any. <laughs> <laughs> Remind me, did I say it from before? No, the best um, writing advice I probably ever got was from a writer who said, "Celebrate every step," and um, because it's like. I'm um, always looking forward to getting the partial, you know, request and then getting the full request and then getting, you know, the agent interested in your work and then getting published it. There's always another step ahead. You know, you're always shooting for the stars, shooting for the stars. And someone said to me just very plainly, he's like, enjoy every step. Enjoy this partial, you know, this partial request. Don't be waiting for the, you know, the full request. Cause I was like, Oh, I got a partial hope to get the full. And he's like, enjoy this. <laughs> Start worrying and, about the next thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and nobody tells you that everyone's like, okay, keep working. He's like, no, sit back. He's yeah. like, throw a party. This is great. And it has made the process so much more enjoyable and so much it's, it is, it's a party every day. If you look at it that way, you know, <laughs> that 13 cent royalty check I mentioned, woo! <laughs> party at the yard. Royalty check. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And and there's always, as you say, there's always a never, another step. You're never done when you're a writer, ever. That's excellent advice. That's excellent advice. I, I, I adhere to that myself. I think there's the, I tied my shoes. Woo! That's partay. Now, let me, let me actually kind of riff on that discovery that you made, that, that, that truth and that yourself is, is perfectly exactly as it should be. Um, in, in another, uh, blog ring of power interview, this one was, uh, TW Fendley. Um, you were talking about the, the feedback that you had gotten from apocalyptic Montessa, uh, uh, and the incredible powerful stories that, that, that novella had awakened and it stunned you, it humbled you and made you realize that you need to be wary of how you tread because even though you're writing fiction, you're bringing up very real emotions and very real people. Uh, how did that, has, has that impacted how you write or how you perceive your writing? It has a little bit. It's helped me realize that I'm not just putting something out there. I'm putting something out there to be read by somebody with real emotions. Um, and I, I've always believed that authors and readers have this kind of dual you know, job that we do together. You know, I, as a reader, am as much involved as the author. They put out this work for me to read and enjoy and put feelings to. And, and it has helped me really solidify that. And it's helped me also to treat things maybe with more respect than I would have earlier. Um, Apocalyptic Montessa brought up a lot of abuse that this woman had suffered. And, and um, 
I'm not just going to, okay, this is a stereotypical, you know, woman that had a sucky childhood that's going to, you know, go into this lifestyle of a stripper to keep making ends meet, et cetera. It's, it's real people's lives and to treat that with respect that it, it needs to. So when I go forward and I write about some of these things, I try and have that um, just awareness that, you know, somebody's brother was murdered. Somebody's sister did die. Can I do this and treat it in a way that, you know, gets the point across for the story, but also has that, that respect and that, that compassion, because that's going to be bringing up emotions in people. And, um, it's helped me be a much more careful and I think hopefully wise, um, compassionate writer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting. We just had uh, Karen Healy on the show, a uh, uh, brilliant, brilliant YA author in New Zealand, uh, uh, and the topic of of not only gender issues but also uh, uh, cultural issues and the issue of cultural diversity came up and being respectful of the cultures that you you are seeking to introduce into your stories and just hearing you talk, Mercedes, that kind of applies to just people's lives in general, not only the people that you're representing in your stories, but I guess, boy, I don't know, uh, uh, being mindful of the fact that the life that you're portraying on this, on the page is, is a mirror to somebody's life out there that may be reading your book. Yeah. It's, it's heavy, isn't it? God. It's, it's heavy. Oh, and could be paralyzing. I think for some authors, uh, uh who, who, you know, don't want to screw up. I don't want to, you know, and, and I guess, Part of that is is just being being confident enough to, to put it out there and to take the hit if you get it wrong. But, right. but how, Which, how do yeah. you how do you do that? How do you find that courage to say I I, I can do this? I, I I'm going to do this. I think I treat it with respect necessary, but I also realize that I am going to get it wrong. Um, it's going to happen inevitably that I'm going to hit a wrong note and. Um, I think my intentions are good and pure and that's kind of what carries me through. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to, you know, shock. I'm not trying to offend. I'm trying to tell the story of these characters as realistically as I can. And they become so real to me, like um, Montessa and Lou and all these different characters. They're so real to me that I feel like I'm trying to tell their story and I'm trying to be as gentle but as deft as I can possibly be. Because, yes, they will mirror somebody's lives in a way. But also these characters, they deserve that. They deserve to have their story told with, you know, that power that hopefully I can do. So I, they become so real to me that it's like I don't want to tread on their feelings either. <laughs> I mean, Lou, Lou will knife me, you know, if I get it wrong. <laughs> he will set you ablaze. He will set me ablaze with joy. But at the same time, I don't know. It's, it's kind of funny because if they become, I mean, they're real. You know, they're real characters. I'm a, you know, I don't want to short them, give them the short end of the stick in any way, shape or form. So that's part of it too, I think. Sure, sure. Faith, faith to, to the characters that you're writing. Excellent. Now, right. You said that you wanted to be true to these characters and respectful of them. And I think that those intentions come through and I'm not going to give any spoilers, but the first line of Pretty Little Dead Girls is Byrony Adams was the type of girl who got murdered. I've got to be honest with you. When that first came out, I really didn't want to read anymore as the father of <laughs> father of three daughters that I was like, okay. Uh, but given the benefit of the doubt, I went and read it. I'm really glad I did because that was, it encapsulates the entire story and it is very true to the character. But I have to ask, how did you manage to merge both horror and when, what didn't work? What did you try that didn't work when you were putting Ooh, these together? Good question. You know, I, 
I originally had a character in there that didn't didn't quite fit. Um, that I was like, I'm going to bring this character in to add some kind of counterpoint to this, you know, whimsy. And uh, he was too heavy, and so he was gone. Uh, he just he didn't fit. He just kind of tried to muddle his way through and be kind of a heavier. Uh, more realistic speaking type of person. And there are people in there that, you know, speak realistically. Like I, I think Eddie is pretty, you know, pretty basic and fairly, you know, Brian, like, woo, I'm a kite. And Eddie's her tether, you know? And, um, I think Ricky Tiki is also very, and Teddy Baker is probably as real as they get to be. Uh, the boy that was her, her first kiss. He's probably as realistic you know, as they need to be. And then they kind of all have their fanciful sides. But I put somebody in there that I was like, okay, you, you're going to be this, you know, and, and he just didn't fit. So he was gone. But, um, yeah, the murder and the whimsy, you, you wouldn't think they would go side by side as well as they do, but they do. Um, this book actually, I mean, it's, it's dark. I mean, you can't deny that it's, it has a dark situations, but I think it's a very joyful book. And I think that's kind of what I wanted to do was, you know, everybody has these crazy things that happen. We all have, inexplicable sorrows. We all are struggling through things that would break, you know, break us if, if we don't have someone to help us. And by kind of lightening that situation a little bit and having this cast of characters that I feel are absolutely heroic, uh, that just kind of link arms and just, we are going to take care of this girl as long as we can, as, as hard as we can for, you know, as, as long as we can do that. I think it gives hope. So this is a book that I Someone was having a really terrible day, and I, I gave him a copy of the book to kind of say, you know, humanity's still good. It's dark and it's horrible, but there's always a lighter side. And that's kind of, I think they go in hand, hand in hand beautifully, honestly. I think um, struggling and, and, and terror and sorrow makes you strong. And I also think that caring makes you stronger. So to put them together like that, just kind of, yeah, it's pretty natural. Honestly. It's kind of like the Alpha Omega. It's like when you come out the one side of one, there's the other waiting for you. You 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 exist on that 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 tipping point between between the horror and the hope. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a line. You know, I walk daily. A lot of us do. Sure. You know, if you don't laugh at things, you'll cry. So find the light in it. Find the hope in it. Find the beauty in it. There's beauty in every situation. It, it's hard to see, but you can find it. You know. So that's kind of kind of the the purpose of this book, if, if, if there is such a thing, you know, I think it's just a hopeful, hopeful thing. Do you draw these characters from people that you meet in your personal experience? Because I think everyone has met somebody like Byrony. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think someone has, is she based on, on that someone? Um, she's based, I mean, all characters are based on us. Part of that is based on, on, on some of my, uh, um, just things that I've thought of and things I've seen. But that first line, I have to tell you this, this guy came up to me in a bank in Seattle and he was, you know, a little bit off, but he um, came up and he took my hand and he said, you're the type of girl who gets murdered. And he was so full of sorrow. Like he believed it. He was so sad. You could see in his eyes that he thought that I was going to be, you know, knifed going out to the ATM the next day. Um, and that touched me so much that he would care about some stranger that he saw this, you know, dark destiny for. So, I mean, that's where that line came from. And it all kind of came from there. These different people, you know, there are parts of Ricky Tiki that I took from this friend. There are parts of Bryony I took from this friend. There's a conversation, you know, I saw here that goes into it. I do. I've, I borrow very, very liberally from 
people I see, um, situations, things that are said to me. I mean, you're probably going in a book at some point, <laughs> looking all kind and sensitive like you do in your picture right here. I mean, just it all, it all turns into the machine and comes out, you know, comes out spun into something a little bit, little, a little finer, I hope, than just, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, she is, she's everybody. You know, not one person in particular. And interestingly, I think we've actually come full circle and answered the first question of the 20 minutes is the key to that believability. Uh, I, I think I think what you are able to do through your particular unique writerly mojo, Mercedes, is is to not filter so much as maybe the rest of us do of, of what we see and what we perceive and experience in our lives. And, and there's a, a, a cleaner signal or a cleaner path of the signal from your perceptions and what you take in to the words that end up on the page. Wow, you make me sound brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I call them like I see them, lady. I got, I got one last question for you, and, and, and I, this might be a very short answer, but uh, have you ever looked 10 years down the road for yourself and, and pondered what types of stories you'll be writing in a, in a decade or two decades? No, because each one is, is different. I don't know what I'll be writing each. Um, I just, you know, wrote this, this heavy magical realism novel. And the next one that I'm working on actually starting next month is a very realistic, no magic at all novel. And then I have like a, a nonfiction that I'm working on about my son's Williams syndrome. I, I can't, I have no idea what I'll be writing. <laughs> oh my goodness. I hope it's like robot chickens. That would be awesome. <laughs> and again, you've got what, three or four in your backyard right now, right? Yeah, they're, they're staring at me right now. Yes, they're looking at me. <laughs> you must they're, write our story. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them who I am. I am a mecha warrior. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I, I was going to say, I you know, in 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 reading your work, uh, uh, it does defy description, but there there are always the hints and resonances, and I think it's it's going to be different for every person that reads it, and that's one of the charms of, of your work. But I definitely got a, a a Clive Barker, the Thief of Time, uh, uh, vibe off of some of your some of your more whimsical moments uh, uh, of prose, and and. You, Clive is, is obviously uh, uh, got, a, I think, a much sharper and a much darker edge than you do to his work. Uh, uh, but I, I'm just I, I I'll just end this by saying I am I am delighted that you're writing in the world and I am eager to see over the next 10 years what kind of of stories catch in your imagination that you put uh, that you put on paper. It's, it's going to be splendid and terrible and and shocking and wonderful. Oh, Dave, thank you. That delights me. That delights me. <laughs> well, I'm 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 looking at the clock and it's actually sprouted chicken wings and and robotic cy cybernetic eyes and it, I think it's going to start spouting flames. I think that means that that we've run run the length of our 20 minutes uh with Mercedes Yardley, which is a, a point of sadness but also uh, uh an inevitability. So, Mercedes, thank you so much. This has been wonderful, delightful, and enlightening, and we really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, thank you too, gentlemen. <laughs> Absolutely. Paul, what are you taking from from this 20 minutes with? What, what in what we just heard has, has caught in the dream catcher of your mind? I think the most important thing is to be true to yourself when you're writing. Uh, that's what I'm taking away from this. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. That that definitely caught in me as well. The, the thing that really 
struck me was was the similarity between I, I, I have confessed many times to to a, a quasi paralysis when it comes to uh, uh, introducing diverse cultures, diverse sexualities, diverse genders uh, uh, into my work. And I don't want to get it wrong. Uh, and, and that segment of the discussion where, you know, that, that, that overlapped, you know, just the simple telling of the tale of someone's life, uh, uh, telling that with with respect and, and with dignity and honor however you do it is is enough your intent is enough you will get it wrong but if you don't try you'll never get it right so that's that just it's like whoa i'm all over that so very cool uh friends thank you so much i I hope you enjoyed that 20 minutes as much as we did and and have been scribbling furiously or just taking faith in the fact that this is recorded and you can play it back time and time and time again until you can memorize every word uh uh, we don't advocate that but if you want to go there go for it so (laughs) we uh uh now the, the beauty of all of this is that in just seven days we'll be back we'll be back with mercedes we'll be back with mercedes and a guest writer and we are going to workshop an epic epic tale it's it's going to be fraught with whimsy murder and and oh i can only imagine what else uh you don't want to miss it but I know it's a long time. It's seven days. Paul, what do you think our listeners should be doing between now and seven days from now? Well, I think they should put on the soundtrack to Sweeney Todd and write. <laughs> oh, God, you just... I, you are my brother from another mother, Paul. I love that soundtrack. Uh, yes, attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. That's awesome. Uh, do that, and you will write some very strange fiction indeed. I will tell you, dear friends, as always, that you will find what you're looking for. So look for the good stuff. Look for the top-shelf blue-label goodness, that, that sweet, sweet nectar of life. And if you look for it, I promise you, you will find it. We'll be back in just seven days. Until then, you guys stay cool, be frothy, be awesome, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode is copyright 2014 by the Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable Podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.